Well, you know, I've thought about it a lot because traveling through the airport, I was like mm-hmm. looking still at all the human trafficking stuff. And I actually did look, I think I did look at, was it Reddit? I think, which, you know, I rarely do, but that case like just freaked me out so much. And I saw mm-hmm. one of the girls on there was saying that she was a flight attendant and like what they look out for. Yes. And yeah. And that really was fascinating. So I was thinking about that this weekend. It's it's crazy how much of it goes on around you that you don't even know, especially in big cities too. Like you were in New York and like Los Angeles. I feel like I see stuff like that in LA all the time. And you know what's crazy? Thinking back to like some of my time working in restaurants, I feel like I saw that a lot. And they say that's a telltale sign that a victim of sex trafficking, if they're out at like a like a dining location or something with a group of men or like a group of people the victim typically won't be allowed to eat yes, or eat I thought very that was much. So thought, weird. It's weird. It's weird. It was really interesting to see the responses on Reddit to the Michaela Bali case because some people were saying, I think they were kind of falling in step with you because they were saying what it kind of sounded like was that she was being groomed or catfished by somebody who was like kind of baiting her to like go back to Regina and like maybe meet her birth father or pretending to be her birth father, even worse. And then by the time she had gotten to a place where, like, it was clear nobody was coming to meet her or she was becoming catfish, maybe she was still believing it. And she, when she left that trail stop restaurant, she may have run into a trucker or somebody mm-hmm. saying, like, what are you doing all alone out here? She's a young girl. And she said something like, oh, I'm trying to get to Regina or I'm trying to, like, go this direction. He says, I'm going that direction. Hop in. Like, it could have been that opportunistic. Yeah, and I know you've always said that that's really rare, but I feel like it makes sense because she, you know, had that window of, like, four hours or whatever where she could have been wandering around. Totally. And it's it's always location-dependent, too. Like, opportunistic kidnappings or killings are rare statistically, but location-specific instances, I think, are are interesting to talk about because this technically was near a bus stop, you know? Or like a tr- near a truck stop. We've seen yeah. things like that where I think abductions could be more common. I have a huge irrational fear on, on both sides of like going to a truck stop restroom. And I know we've been to many. <laughs> I was going to say, but- maybe I know where that fear comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, where could this PTSD have like stemmed from? Like, what could that be? <laughs> but I just, something about that feels very, I always imagine like a, like a faux scenario of me like in a truck stop late at night there's not a lot of people around it's kind of on like a dimly lit road near woods or something and like you just go in to like use the bathroom for a second but there's somebody in there Mm -hmm. in like a stall or something just waiting to chloroform my ass yeah i don't know so i'll say name them name them i could name every single truck stop we went to that isn't great and specifically i'm thinking the way stations too the way stations. The way stations. Oh my God. I'm specifically thinking of one that is very like similar to what you're describing. Mm-hmm. We were on some back road and I remember 
the soap dispenser in the bathroom was basically just the sack of soap, like a damn Franzia slap the back. And so he just <laughs> stapled it to I the wall. <gasps> do you have a picture like, of this? You should have taken a picture. Of I this. legitimately do. I actually do. I'll find it for you. Please, please send that to me because that is quintessential middle of America <laughs> truck rest stop. <laughs> you can shower. People don't know you can shower them too. I mean, like it's a full yeah. service experience there because truckers, they got to stop and shower. They got to do a lot of stuff. Of course. I mean, it's no Delta Sky Lounge, but you make do. <sighs> Somehow I got to get, I got to get on the Delta track. I'm realizing that you can just pay for the Sky Lounge. You don't have to be like a Delta flyer. I mean, that's a that's a conduit. You can get into it that way, but you can just pay for a membership in the Sky Lounge. Yeah, you just have to make sure you're always in or near a terminal that has it. Mm-hmm. It's like fourteen hundred a year, I think. No, minimum. So. Anywho, I can jump into this case. I will first say, welcome back, everybody, to Creep Time, the podcast. We are your hosts, Silas Dean and the lovely Miss Stu. I'm remembering this now in real time because I saw this comment literally last night. And they said it was somebody who was a new listener. And they go, 10 episodes in. And I'm just now realizing his name is Silas Dean, not Silas Dean. Like one word, Silas Dean. (laughs) Because I only say Stu. Salastine. I'm (laughs) Salastine. And that's Stu. (laughs) And if you say it three times fast in the mirror, we will appear. Baby, it's Beetlejuice out the ass. (laughs) There ain't no way around it. Salastine. 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 Come on, Winona Ryder. That's what I need. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, this case. I did not have this in our regularly scheduled arsenal. I'll be honest, Um, like it was not on the calendar, but genuinely last, no, maybe Sunday night, I like shot up out of bed and I was like, my gut is telling me that we have to cover this. I don't know what drove that, Um, but I usually let my instinct kind of lead, like what is the next case to come? I don't know what's behind that, but I decided that I think we should talk about the story of Michael Negrete, which is Possibly one of the least covered cases that I think we have ever covered on this podcast. There is very little information on it, and it's not terribly old. Happened in 1999, but it just doesn't have the same kind of traction as other cases have gotten. So it's important that I thought we would talk about it, and it actually took place right in Los Angeles. I found this case strange because it is an unsolved disappearance. And I think what shocked a lot of people when they first heard this story or like web sleuths got a hold of it and started to like look into it is that it happened in a very narrow window and it happened in a space that seemingly was safe, a dorm hall where this student, a freshman, disappeared one night and there is nothing to go off of. When I get into some of the top line details in a second, you're going to, I think you'll piece together like how strange this is. But I don't know that we have covered many college cases, have we? I was just what am thinking, I thinking. What am that, I missing? I mean, I, I mean, of? the Idaho case, of course. But yeah, of course. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that was off campus too, like dormitory. Yeah, that wasn't a dorm. Can I tell you the Very. weirdest thing? Like, you know how we have synchronicities? Yeah. When you said Michael Legrete, I was trying to think of like what that sounded like to me. 
And I was like, that sounds like a damn Harry Potter character or something. And then I started picturing a dorm. Like I started picturing. Interesting. Weird. It's my oh, Michael. I should clarify. Michael Negrete with an N. Negrete. Okay. Negrete. Yeah. I, I used to see some people. There was some contention about how it's um, pronounced because his real name is Miguel, actually. But everybody called him Michael or Mike. So some people were pronouncing his last name as Negrite, but it does not have an accent on it. So I've seen most people say Negrite. Got it. But we are kind of we are kind of synced up in that way. You know synced. the story before I'm even going to tell it. And well, maybe I should Harry get into. Potter. <laughs> maybe this that is, it is anything not. but. <laughs> yeah. Anything but. Although I will say our chief suspect does look a little bit like Voldemort, but that's something to get into in a few a few breaths. So the top line of this story, what makes this so mysterious? So Michael Negrete, he was an 18-year-old college student at the time of his disappearance. And on the final night that he was seen, his last moment that he was seen in or near his dorm room on the UCLA campus, there were tons of witnesses down to essentially almost the minute that Michael was last seen who can corroborate. I saw him. He walked into his dorm room. And nobody saw him again. Come morning, Michael is no longer in his bed, and all of his belongings, allegedly even down to his shoes, were left inside the room. Michael had no history of instability or social isolation whatsoever. He did not have a car, and he had no real reason to vanish from campus. The, some people have been like grasping at straws, saying, well, the timing of this was December, so it would have been close to final exams. But that seems like a pretty thin argument to me. But we can get into it in a little bit for why they were suggesting of why Michael would have tried to, like, run out from school. There was nothing to suggest that he was struggling. But the story would become much more complex and mysterious once witnesses came forward seven months after the investigation started, claiming they saw an older man, possibly in his mid to late 30s, roaming the dorm hallways late that night. Was this man responsible for Michael's disappearance? That is the question. But before we get into it, thank you again, everybody, for stopping by to hang out with Stu and I. We are here to hang out with you. And I have to say, I got to make this clear because checking through all of the recent reviews, specifically on Apple, and I can't name all of them, Stu and I, we have been looking through them and they are so so sweet and endearing. I know a lot of people just say like, love the podcast and that is fantastic we love that as well but a lot of the personal messages about how the podcast has been introduced to your life whether it's through a friend or a family member that introduced it and brought it to you and like what it's done for you and you you talk about the things that you do in the background or in your life that like creep time the podcast is kind of guiding you through i just think it's so sweet and sue and i have been really gushing over this lately so we just wanted to say thank you to everybody for leaving such sweet kind and thoughtful reviews and baby, it goes both ways. They're helping us out through our moments. <laughs> that they Seriously, are. Seriously, <laughs> we love y'all. It's it's just so, I don't know, it makes me like very, maybe it's the holidays where I'm getting like gushy and, and whatnot, but it it just makes me like feel very warm and fuzzy yeah. to think about all the creepers out there and that every Friday we kind of get to hang out with y'all. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for continuing to spread the word about the podcast, whether you're leaving it in comments or you're using that word of mouth marketing that you know we love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So without further ado, I was going to jump straight into the backstory. But before I do, do you have any questions or immediate thoughts on the top line? 
Well, the last thing you just mentioned, all I can think of are some of your TikToks where you've covered those photographs of like a long hallway and there's like someone at the end or like some light on. And I just pictured Mm -hmm. this random like older gentleman down a long college, my old college dorm. And I'm like, I'm already, I'm gone. Baby, when I send you the composite sketch, this is why I had to make a little Google Doc for you before. And guys, I by the time this episode goes up, there's going to be an official Reddit post for this. So if you want to see all the pictures of Michael, of the alleged suspect, suspects really in this case, because I have a lot of theories, it's chilling. It is chilling, the man they describe seeing. Mid-30s, Caucasian, very, very fair. Um, narrow nose, thin lips, hair pushed to a very specific side, which I thought was interesting because the way some like men style their hair, which side they flip it to, that's specific and consistent usually. Nobody flips sides. Mm-hmm. So when they were originally trying to connect this composite with some potential suspects, those were the things I was looking at. I'm like, which side do they wear their hair? Because I'm a sleuth. <laughs> and you're like, what's that skincare regimen? <laughs> <I know. laughs> so... With that, I'm going to jump into a little bit of the backstory here. So Michael was born on March 25th, 1981 in Virginia, although I don't think he grew up in Virginia because I've seen some conflicting research on this because, again, this case is not commonly covered. So I'm really grasping at straws here, and I tried to get the most accurate information I could. I think a lot of people were saying that he grew up in California, San Diego. So, like I said, the case is not commonly covered. There are limitations on some of the info that I was able to dig up. But from everything I pieced together on him, he was really a very normal kid. So he grew up in San Diego, we think. He had two brothers, Dave and Steve. I think they were older. And he grew up surrounded by community at his school because he was a talented young musician. And he was always a part of bands. So he had a close friend group through pretty much all of middle school and high school in the 90s. He had um some simple interests. Like, he really loved watching TV. He loved to watch The Simpsons with his friends. He was described to be you know, obsessed with jazz music, and he was a talented trumpet player and drum player, even as a teen. And he also loved computer video games and playing against his friends, because the late 90s was a big boom for computer video games and the birth of AOL, like Instant Messenger AOL which I didn't know. I wasn't brushed up on it. But that will come into play a little bit later when we go through the night of. So like I said, he was a talented musician and he was in a band called Island Fever where he played the trumpet and the steel drums. So he's like a pretty well-rounded and social person from what everyone described, even from a young age, and especially by the time he heads to college at UCLA. Does that give you like a kind of a clearer sense of maybe how you can envision him and like maybe what his social circle looks like. Well, you know, it's funny like to choose a band called Island Fever and he's playing the trumpet and there's steel drums. I guess it was like reggae or ska, which is like super happy go lucky kind of music. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not like teen angst whatsoever. Like he's wearing like Hawaiian dad shirts in a lot of the pictures I see with him. Like he's, he seems like a happy kid, but you never know. There could be Mm -hmm. something else going on under the surface because we only piece these things together with pictures. So what happens the night Michael goes missing? Let's first talk through the disappearance and then we'll talk through the investigation. So the year is 1999. Michael was attending 
UCLA as a freshman. He was living in the Dykstra Hall dormitory up on the sixth floor. I couldn't get the room number and I really wanted that. Now, the date of his disappearance is technically December 10th. Um, So we just passed the anniversary two days ago. Mm -hmm. And rather than going um, out to party, they actually partied on the dorm floor that night. So I think this was a Thursday into a Friday night, which I did a little bit of digging. And even back in the 90s, this was kind of like tradition on UCLA campus that Thursday is the party night. So that it's like Friday hangover is like Mm -hmm. the joke. So somebody on the dorm floor, one of the dorm floors, they're hosting a party, but you really can't go like crazy in like a dorm room. You know what I mean? So basically they're just sipping margaritas as like 18 year old freshmen. Did you ever go to like dorm parties? Can relate. Yeah. (laughs) All I'm thinking about is, I don't know about you, what you're, I feel like everybody had their nasty freshman year drink. Nasty is the only way to describe what you drank and. Pinks brown water. Gel. We would drink brown water, <laughs> <laughs> spiked brown water. <laughs> Wait, was it a drink called brown water or just legitimately? No, no, no. Brown it was water? a jungle juice that somebody didn't know how to mix, and they would just throw like a bunch of random crap together. It would be like OJ cranberry juice, Sprite, like a bunch of liquids that when you mix them, it just becomes like an opaque brown <laughs> <laughs> liquid, and then somebody dumps a bottle of Dubra in it, and you call it a drink. You didn't have that. I didn't have that. I definitely Naima. Naima. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of things. Uh, let me tell you what I think is nasty too, and then we'll get back mm-hmm. to it. A Long Island iced tea. What the hell was I doing pounding those on a Tuesday? Okay. Okay. But like if they're made, you know what? I'm not even gonna try to defend it. <laughs> <laughs> let me that's how started they get and you. I said, let's let's backtrack. It's let's like backtrack. the Moscato. It's sweet, it goes down sweet, and then it does. And I your like toast. a sweet drink. Yeah. I like a sweet drink. I mean, I, people say they're like, as you get older, you're going to start appreciating a drier drink. I don't. I don't. I usually go for margaritas now just because it's easy to get down. And 3 a.m. my ties. That's a different story. <laughs> you, you think I was lucid yeah. enough to taste things? <laughs> Maybe anything could have gone in this mouth. <laughs> brown. She was like, back on track. brown juice. <laughs> it was, basically. So I'll get back on track. They are having a dorm party on one of the floors. Michael is described to be at this party. It's just a small group of basically guys. And they're all kind of like margaritas, which I think is funny. And he eventually leaves. He's not doing anything else. Like nobody described hard drug use. Obviously, they're not smoking in these dorms. And he eventually goes back to his room. Now, Michael was in his room and he was playing a computer video game against one of his friends who I think was not only on his floor, but directly across the hall from him. So they're like just in their own dorms playing this computer game against each other. They're doing this till four in the morning, Stu. So this is like really late when he vanishes. It's super late. He plays one final time and I believe he gets beat. Like, he gets beat in that final round of the game. So he runs out of his room across the way next door to his friend. And he just congratulates him, like, oh, my God, like, you crushed it. Like, you killed me in that game. And his friend describes him as totally lucid, definitely not drunk, was not on any substances. Like, he's totally fine. He's sober. He can converse. It's odd to think that, in hindsight, this friend at four in the morning 
would technically be the last person to have ever seen Michael alive. So he says congratulations, and then his friend literally witnesses him go back into his dorm room. Shuts the door. That's it. He was reported to have been wearing blue, um, like a blue plaid button-down, khaki-colored shorts, and white sneakers at the time. The white sneakers are really important. So he closes his door, and what's interesting about him closing that door and going back into his dorm is that I always thought in the story that he was alone, like going back into his room alone. His roommate, like his dorm mate, was already in the room. He was just asleep because it was four in the morning. So by 9 a.m. the next morning, when his roommate wakes up, he looks over to Michael's side of the room. Bed is empty. Michael's not in the room anywhere. Not an immediate red flag. Like maybe he just got up and he went down the hall, went to the bathroom, went to a dining hall, etc. But then he looks around the room further and he's like, all of Michael's stuff is here. Like his wallet, his keys, his dining hall pass, like all of his clothing, musical instruments, even down, here's the kicker, even down to the white shoes. Didn't take his shoes with him. So then his roommate's like, okay, well, he probably just went out into the hall or maybe ran down to the bathroom and forgot his keys. Who's going to be back any second to like come knock on the door, right? Like, let me in. Never came back. Nobody ever hears from or sees Michael again. So that's when everybody knows something is definitely wrong. Like Michael's stuff is here. Police eventually get contacted for a report that seemed to be of Michael leaving his dorm sometime between 4 a.m. when he closed that door and, of course, 9 a.m. when the roommate woke up. We just can't explain how or why he vanished. No one could understand it. So then the investigation kicks off. Before I get into it, any just initial thoughts on the strangeness of that window, 4 a.m. to 9 a.m.? Like, what happened? Where did he go? Oh, well, part of me was like, did he put on different shoes? Did they notice other shoes were gone? And did he The shoes were a huge part of contention. Well, oh, I didn't even think about sleepwalking. That's, I mean, that's a really interesting angle. There's no report I could find about a history of sleepwalking. But as we've seen, especially when you're going, you're like a young person going through a transitional period, a.k.a. your first semester in college. Yeah. It's very possible you could certainly sleepwalk, especially if you're nearing finals and going through a stressful period in your life. Right. Or even just general anxiety. Like if he woke up, you know, like how sometimes you drink too much and you're like, oh, God. And I don't know if maybe he couldn't go back to sleep. So he decided to like go walk around, forgot his keys. Like he could have still been a little tipsy. Mm -hmm. I know his friend said he was lucid, but I mean, you know, however many margaritas till 4 a.m. does take a couple of hours, I would assume, to get out of your system. But um, Yeah, he could have had the spins or something. Maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe he felt like he was going to get sick, too. Like, he was, the drunk was turning into the point where, like, your body's like, I think you have to throw up. Yeah, Like, I think you got to go up and, like, and he just, like, ran out of the room and was like, "Uh, can't grab keys, can't grab shoes, I got to puke kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Could totally see that. The question is, is, like, what happened where he didn't come back and, like, knock on the door? Where did he go next? Right. Because he's gone. Totally gone. So weird. It's odd. The shoes, I want to talk about the shoes for a quick second because I know for anybody who does happen to know this case, I can't imagine it's a ton. The shoes are a big point of contention because he was last seen wearing those white shoes by 
you know, the friend who was across the hall. But the white shoes, I believe, are found left in the dorm. From everything that I saw, especially like the public reporting when this first came out, that was the big like smoking gun where they were like, he only had one pair of shoes, apparently. Which I guess maybe not uncommon for like college freshmen. Yeah. Um, maybe, but he left them. So everybody was like, okay, well, that clearly indicates that if he left his dorm, he was not planning to go far, like maybe just down the hall to the bathroom and then come back. Definitely not outside the dorm, but some people have said, no, maybe he did have another pair of shoes. But from the initial reporting, that was the big point they made. They're like, nope, one pair of shoes and he left them. He did not intend to leave the building. And yet he did. Why? Weird. Or even Very I wonder weird. if he had like those little like kind of shower slippers or whatever that you have. Yeah, to run yeah up like shower and, shoes. Yeah. I, I call them flippies because I'm <clears throat> from the right. north. <laughs> and I Was call that cough and response to me? shoes. <laughs> and I, I call them flippies. Flippies. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they told us when I was in the ward. <laughs> the institution. Whew. <laughs> 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 So maybe I should get into the investigation because I think some of the clues and like how police start to line up this story might frame it a little bit better for you. I'm trying to figure out when, ooh, when the right reveal is for these pictures. I'll, I'll save it for halfway through the investigation. I'll keep going. So here's where police start with the disappearance. We have this very tight window where something seemed to happen that compelled Michael to leave his dorm room, possibly run out of the building. We just can't really explain why. Sometime between 4 a.m. to 9 a.m., that is the in-between. What is striking to them, of course, immediately is this initial report and what is corroborated by the police report that he did not seem to take his shoes. So it suggested to them he had no intentions to leave the building and was possibly just running down to the bathroom. And yet, of course, he vanished from the building. Police could not find any indication, of course, because they sussed out all the friends, people at the party, the roommate, like everybody is, of course thoroughly thoroughly scoped out and they're like who are you what's your relationship to him do you have any fights any issues problems they couldn't find any evidence that he had any serious enemies no evidence of a secret life depression serious drug or alcohol issues nothing that could really explain like why he would have left in either scenario whether he was taken or he left on his own nor was there any digital evidence that he plan to meet up with somebody that night. And of course, I know this is a time when there's no cell phones. There's, I mean, there's email on his computer, but there was nothing they found in his email. The only other point of interest here is that AOL and instant messenger was a new thing. And I actually don't know very much about the records that were kept on AOL or AIM um, in 1999 and whether it was kind of like Snapchat where like you send a message and then kind of purged from the system and nobody yeah. can check it again i can't Couldn't imagine that it's stored like i'm literally racking my brain right now trying to remember when you log back in to aim if your messages from your previous conversation were there oh no wait do you remember your aim name can i know it oh wait didn't i ask you this before msa 3993 <laughs> <laughs> i think mine was wi- wild child 17 I think. <laughs> Hold on. I have his um I actually wrote down his name as well cuz I have his username. His was train fan 1, which then later once, you know, it'd been inactive for so long that it was purged 
from the system and became available for somebody else to take, and they did. But that was his original name, allegedly. But again, they couldn't find any evidence on AOL that he was planning to meet up with somebody. So they questioned all the friends, everybody on the floor. Nobody had seen him since 4 a.m. That was clear. The nature of the disappearance became so strange for police, even from the jump, that they ended up upgrading the case from a missing persons case to a homicide investigation, despite no body or suspect, which is pretty unusual. I had actually... Not It wasn't very common for that to happen, and I hadn't heard of a case like that. Because I kept thinking about this in terms of, like, Asia degree for some mm. reason, even though I know it's not, like, apples to apples. But I don't think they upgraded Asia's case to a homicide. And she was a child. Like, I've... she's not running out and, like, getting a motel somewhere. You know, like, she was abducted. Well, and I feel like historically, County, it takes them a hot minute to ever call it. Toad. I mean, LAPD don't have. A, well, maybe this was campus police too. Mm-hmm. I don't. I actually don't know what the UCLA jurisdiction of policing is, but there's there's county police and there's campus police. <laughs> Different story, because campus police they're going above and beyond. For That's, no right. Reason. That's right. That's right. <laughs> when I was at um when I was in college, I saw the most insane police chase I'd ever seen over what was most likely virtually nothing. Our campus police had Mercedes as their police car. Mercedes. For what reason? I can't tell you. Did it come out of my pocket? I'm sure it did. Or my student loans? I was going to say, it it definitely came out of your tuition. (laughs) 100%. But I was walking to North Campus, and I'll just, I'll never forget, like, it must have been like five cop cars that literally came flying off the road, Stu, and onto the grass, like onto the lawn in front of the dorm. And then like they all like stopped, like jolted and like got out of their cars screaming. I'm panicking because I'm standing. It was at nighttime. I'm standing in the middle of the road. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I realized they were chasing a student who was literally running into the North Campus dorm. And I'm like, what could he have done that would warrant five different cop cars literally ripping the grass off of the lawn outside of the dorm <laughs> to chase this kid. Like, is he running from a park? Like, what could be so serious? So that's my point about why campus police have maybe too much time on their hands. You'll get busted. I'm trying to think of something we could say about <laughs> campus police. I mean, did you get busted by campus police in college? Any party? Nothing got broken up? Oh, you know what? I do remember one party that I went to, but it was off campus. But... There I, can't, it is. I can't remember if it was campus police or actual county police, but they showed up and I remember this was up on a, this house is on a hill. Girls, including myself, we all were just flying. We were rolling down that rolling, damn hill rolling. in mini yes. skirts. We looked like those damn <laughs> cheese wheels that people roll down in like England or whatever. No. <laughs> but I can't think of a campus I'm just imagining you guys literally tumbling like balls, rolling down a hill. Yes. But yeah, full on tumbleweeds spiraling down a hill in the middle of the night. But like, I'm imagining clothes just (laughs) flying in the air, like heels flying, skirts are ripping. Wedges. Extensions. (laughs) The wedges were flying, baby. You know, the wedges were flying and the peplum tops and the bubble necklaces was all. Peplum tops. Peplum should be outlawed. It really needs to be. 
if you if you want to sign my petition, I'm starting one on change.org <laughs> after this podcast. We're, we're, we got it in with the Biden administration. We're working on getting peplum out of stores and into the vaults. And into Gilly Hicks songs. Oh, the Gilly Hicks vault. So where do we go from here? Nature of the disappearance, so unusual, it's upgraded to a homicide investigation. And they felt pretty compelled by the circumstances here that this was really a case where something very unusual and something bad may have happened to Michael. Now, initially, police had no lead as to where Michael may have gone because they've got the no shoes. They've got no apparent witnesses like they're running on basically nothing here. But then we get one singular witness who I think was actually outside of the dorm, if I'm remembering correctly, like was like on campus somewhere on the street. They don't know for sure, but they think, think they may have seen Michael at 4.35 a.m. leaving the dorm on foot alone. I don't, I really, really want to like overemphasize that we should take this with a grain of salt because it was dark, very late. I'm assuming if it's somebody who's wandering the UCLA campus at 4.35 in the morning, they've probably had a night, you know? Mm-hmm. So they could have been a little bit impaired. And even they can't confirm that it was Michael. They just saw a guy who was like walking around at 4.35 a.m. on foot. Could have even been our suspect. Who knows? So they then bring in the bloodhounds because, of course, when you've got nothing to go on, bring in the dogs. So the bloodhounds track his scent and... This is another point of contention in this case, and maybe the information got a little muddied through the years, but police are not really concrete if they can trust what the dogs picked up because his path, they do pick up his scent, but his path is like very weird, like zigzaggy, like erratic outside, going back and forth in different directions. And eventually the dogs lead them out of the dorm and to a nearby bus stop at the corner, and that's where his scent stops. Very interesting. So fascinating. I But they don't I, know if they can trust it. Well, I'm having trouble trusting the statement of the friend saying he was lucid at four in the morning. Like, I think there's, oh, just a, there are some people that can really hold their alcohol and like they could have just mm-hmm. been buddy, buddy. But I mean, zigzagging walking patterns, it tracks for me that he's probably still a little intoxicated. Can I make a follow-up statement to that of course yeah it tracks for me that there could have been a struggle uh like he might have been abducted that was what i was thinking was like a a bit of like a tug of war like possibly out of it maybe getting chloroformed and like trying to like fight to stay conscious like something i just don't know why that would lead to a bus stop you know and like why they would get on a bus like that unless unless the story is like they're getting on a bus and he's knocked out or chloroformed or something and whoever his abductor is it's like we got to get on the bus we got to get him home like he's completely blackout drunk Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna put him to bed in his apartment like you could make up any lie but even Mm -hmm. if we're running on the alternate scenario that michael was drunk like you're saying and he's walking alone um it's like where is he going you know like allegedly he has no shoes no keys no wallet no id nothing and yet he's getting on a bus somehow paying the fare and going where? Well, well, here's what I was thinking is that, so, I mean, I'm going off of the campus that I remember from college that buses are free. Mm-hmm. So to get around to different dorms, it's free. Could he? Did you have to show your student ID though? Because we did. 
No, I think I just hopped right on and they just okay. kind of assumed. Well, it was the 90s too, so maybe yeah. it was a little more lax. Yeah. Yeah. And like, could he, my two things I was thinking, I was like, was there somebody he wanted mm. to see and just kind of like, you know, show up at their door or secondly mm. could he have been like i'm gonna go get food somewhere like if he woke that's up, what people like, were saying spins like totally people were saying they're like well it could have been possible that he was drunk he had the spins or he's feeling like oh my god like i gotta eat something he's got nothing in his dorm gets on a campus bus or something to go to a 7-eleven or a yeah. denny's or like a, yeah. a 20 some place that would be open mm-hmm. at 4 30 in the morning totally makes sense to me the question is is like was he so far gone that he got on the bus <laughs> And didn't realize, oh, not only do I not have a wallet to pay for the food, I don't even have my shoes on. Like, what are you on if you're that far gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Or it's one more thing. Unusual. Like, yeah. you know how you'd go to certain restaurants on campus and they had your information? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that could have been a thing. There was like a cafeteria that was 24 hours or something. Oh, I mean, I, I wish maybe it, I I should have like asked some like track down some track down some older UCLA students who maybe graduated in that window because they would have more information about what campus was like back in 1999. Like, yeah, what what was the dining situation? But I would assume like it's Los Angeles, like UCLA is pretty ingrained. So it's pretty easy to get kind of to any food destination. Mm hmm. I would say, whether it's on campus or off. But then we get something very sinister to the case. So after police have started to go through their investigation, they have this weird, I mean, pattern or piece of evidence, I guess they've collected from the dogs that they can't really make sense of. They start checking all the garbage chutes on campus, the construction zones, any of like the bodies of water that would be nearby. There is not a single location on campus where they can make sense of Michael maybe stumbling, getting lost, getting hurt, and dying on December 10th. But then they get this witness statement, several witness statements, and this is probably going to be a good time to share with you the pictures. Before I send it to you, I will tell you what they saw. It is the white, mid-30s, heavyset man that witnesses saw, thin upper lip, very narrow bridge to the nose, very fair skin. They saw him on the night of the disappearance. There are not many students who question this because I think a lot of them assumed when you see like a person, even in college, who's a stranger, you just assume it's a friend of a friend or it's like somebody's dealer. You know, like there's some explanation for why this guy is like hanging around in the dorm hallway. Nobody goes up to you and they're like, what are you doing here? You got an ID kind of thing. Like nobody cares when you're 18. Mm -hmm. So although nobody claimed to see him directly speaking with Michael, nobody one question could actually identify the man like nobody was like oh that's my friend or like oh yeah 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 like my my guy was here like nobody knew who he was he was just some random man in the dorms like lurking through the halls that night that's scary as hell so they take the witness statements that they have and they're able to put together a police composite which has largely been tied back to a few different suspects which we'll get into when we discuss the theories but many people believe that based on the nonsensical explanation of Michael's disappearance, that this man has to be involved in some way, shape, or form. We just have no motive. So let me go ahead and share with you the document. So what you're going to see here is a picture of Michael up top, 18 years old, 
And then you're going to see the police composite, which is right next to two of our main suspects. And I'll get into who they are in just a second. So let me send this to you in the chat. How you feel? Do, do I have you spooked? <laughs> okay. So to be clear, he, yes. this man <clears throat> was only seen around campus. Like this, the witness statements. No, no, no. No, wait. Inside the dorm hall. But the like dorms. in the dorm on campus, like nobody yes. said they saw him like wandering in the streets of LA as well or something like that. No, I mean, it was so late. And I don't know if anybody yeah. would have been looking for someone unusual because like, you just see like a random guy right. walk in the streets of Los Angeles. That could be, that's like one among a hundred thousand. Right. Know? And he sounds very like, you know, kind of typical. It just sounds like a random white features. guy. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. He's just a ran- he's just a strange white guy. What's odd about it is like he's in his mid thirties, mid to upper thirties, and he's hanging around in a freshman dorm. Uh, baby, I need access to the Google Doc. <laughs> baby, you know what? <laughs> you know <laughs> who owns Google? I gotta I gotta make a call. The Bard. The Bard. <laughs> bard, I you have. need access to the Google Doc. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Hold on. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Stu has asked to be an editor of the doc. All right, let me review that and see if I'll approve it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've granted you access. This is what happens when I don't make a Reddit post before we actually. So, okay. <laughs> now you're in. Okay. Okay, I'm in. That's Michael up top. And then you'll see the sketch mm-hmm. of the mystery man. Could you imagine a person who looks like that standing at the end of the hall? Only in the event that I thought maybe he was a professor or something or like a grad student, but. Oh, here's the other thing. Oh, yeah. Grad student. I was totally like, yeah, uh, yeah. grad student. I was like totally on board. I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, I would think it's an RA. Like, my RA was a grad student and he was in his 30s. So the only thing that makes it super strange is that most of the witness statements claiming of when they saw him, it was right around 430 in the morning. Yeah. 4.30. Like, what's this guy doing lurking through an adult man lurking through a college freshman dorm hall at 4.30 in the morning? Michael's last seen at 4. Something. There's something here. I swear to God, there's something here. Yeah. I don't know what, but. I don't know if you know this. Do you know if he lived in a co-ed dorm? I don't, actually. Aren't most dorms? Maybe this was different in 99, but. I don't think we had any dorms on my campus that weren't co-ed. We had, like, based on floors. Floors, yeah. Like, your whole floor could be guys only. Yeah. Which is what it sounded like. But your building was co-ed, usually. Yeah. Well, and we had floors that were, like, girl only or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I was just curious if it was, like, a co-ed floor. The guy could have been, you know, wandering, looking for somebody. Baby, I went to college... And I signed up for the arts learning community where co-ed <laughs> was the norm. <laughs> co-ed roommates was the norm. <laughs> I love living on a co-ed floor. I thought it was so fun. It's so fun. Yeah, because it's all your friends too from like class and like if you're in like an arts learning community, it's everybody who's like in or adjacent to your major. But this is a different situation and something about this screams like, I don't know, this guy's involved. I just yeah. can't shake that feeling. But we don't have a motive. Like, what? How do we explain that? Is it opportunistic? Was he a stalker? Was that, well, he a plan- I mean, 
That's what, what I, I was thinking. I was like, is there a stalker situation going on here? No evidence of it, at least on his computer. Like no, nothing just like suggests that he had any knowledge that he was being targeted. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just trying to think, you know, like there are sometimes the, the thing that I keep trying to remind myself of. So I'm not just relating it back to my college experience is that you are in a metropolitan city. Like people can totally. get through the totally. you know campus and he could have been stalked by someone that was just, you know, not supposed to be on the UCLA campus. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing. I think it's a little misleading for a lot of people who are listening. And even for myself, when I was reading this, because of course, like you only relate it back to the imagery that you have. And my college campus was in a rural location. So of course, when I think dorms and like somebody leaving a dorm, I think, oh, well, they're going out to like the street and nobody's around. Mm -hmm. I've been to the UCLA campus. It's very densely populated. Like I would be shocked to hear that there wasn't somebody around, you know, and it's also intermixed with a lot of like local businesses. Like I go totally. there sometimes to drop off like packages I have to ship. I'm the Where? oldest person there, but <laughs> I go there. <laughs> Where is the UCLA campus in LA? Uh, it's closer to the West side. I please no Angelinos crucify me on like my location knowledge. <laughs> it, I, I don't go to the campus very often for obvious reasons, but it's, Closer to, I'm trying to think of a landmark that it's near. If you're headed towards the west side of LA, it's closer to that direction, unless they have multiple campuses, and maybe I'm confused, but I think it's at the cross street of Sunset. Like it goes along Sunset, like the major, that's the major connecting street next to this dorm hall, at least. Yeah. Because I was just trying to think, you know, there's certain campuses in a metropolitan area where they're a little bit further removed, like they're more mm-hmm. neighborhoody. And then there's some, like I'm thinking specifically in DC, it's like Georgetown is in Georgetown, which is like its own little right, cute right. neck of the woods. But then GW is right in the center of, you know, all the major businesses, downtown, hustle and bustle. Like anybody mm-hmm. is wandering through it at any given moment. So I was just curious. I think um USC is a little closer to like maybe what our college experience looked like in terms of like, I don't know, like outside dorm geography. Like there's much more space where USC is for sure. And like it looks more traditionally college, whereas UCLA is a little more (laughs) modern and metropolitan. It feels closer to like an NYU in that way. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So hopefully that gives more context as to your theory about like this could have been anybody who just like waited for somebody to like. I don't know, leave the door open and just mm-hmm. grabbed it, just went inside, which is horrifying. Oh, That's God. so horrifying. So, like I said, we've got no motive. And eventually the family, they became so desperate, they end up employing two private detectives to chase after this case. They put up $100,000 for anybody who has any information, but the information never came. That is the craziest thing about it is that through the years i think there's something like 500 plus tips that come in regarding this case and the night michael vanished Mm. nobody has ever officially said i've seen him or like i know where he is he's just gone like none of his credit cards were ever used his bank funds have never been touched so he wasn't like really abducted for ransom or like money you know what i mean like it's not like somebody abducted him or like took him out at gunpoint and they were like drain your bank account we're gonna go to Mm -hmm. an atm they really just wanted him 
That's which I'm trying to make so sense eerie of. and just gross. <sighs> yeah. But whatever really happened to him and this mystery man, whether he's involved or not, or this is just a fluke in the case, that is for us to discuss with the theories which we have arrived at. Before I jump in, any like last thoughts or like where are you leaning right off the bat? I'm thinking that this was a stalker sort of situation, but there was mm-hmm. or a predator, maybe like just somebody who was yeah, yeah. S- somebody that had seen Michael and or not even seen Michael really, because it's like, how would you know he's gonna stumble out of the dorm at four in the morning? But somebody that was lurking, waiting for anybody almost, like any young that's what child. I was too. To me, that's a yeah, child I, still. You're 18, but to, it's it's in the yeah, eyes I will of a predator. Agree with you. I will totally agree with you. It feels super specific that these are, this is like a freshman dorm. Mm -hmm. So it's all guys who are like 18. Mm -hmm. And it also kind of hits, it like hits something in me where I'm like, "Mm, that feels right. Where it was opportunistic in the way that this was somebody who wanted to abduct someone, maybe not necessarily Michael, but Michael just happened to be the unlucky one who was out and about out of his dorm, maybe running to the bathroom Mm -hmm. at 4.30 in the morning. And then, for all we know, this mystery man could have been waiting in the bathroom for somebody. Just waiting for one of the guys to walk in. He's hiding in a stall. Michael goes to, like, a urinal or something. Somebody comes up behind him with a rag of chloroform, knocks the kid out, drags him out silently from the dorm. I think I just downloaded that. That (laughs) I I just plucked that from history. Something in my mind. And it's all—it's almost weird because it's like that. I'm, I'm also coming back to that zigzag pattern. If we're going mm-hmm. with what you're kind of suggesting, like where he gets him out of the dorm and like, like is dragging, dragging him. him. Yes, 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 yes. And then they get to the bus, and the driver's like, "Whoa, dude! Like, what's going on?" And he could have totally posed as an RA or a professor and been like, "Got to get this kid back to whatever dorm or yeah. whatever area." Can you drop us? Could have even said something like, "Yeah, I'm like taking him to the infirmary or something." You know what yeah. I mean? Like, can you step on it, kind of thing? Like, oh, God. any anything he could have done to like smooth talk that. And I will also say that Michael's not very big. He's a pretty thin mm-hmm. guy, and he's only about five eight. So, I don't think it's wild to imagine that he was physically overpowered and physically dragged or even carried once knocked out mm-hmm. to this destination. Getting him on the bus is the craziest thing, but it's totally not off the table. The only thing is that, of course, I would assume police did their due diligence to talk to the bus drivers. Yeah. yeah. But it's entirely possible the bus stop was just a landmark where maybe it's a two-person operation. This guy goes in, gets the kid, takes him to the bus stop, driver pulls up, throw him in Mm -hmm. the car. They both get in the car. I could totally see that. We are running through fear. I haven't even started the theories and we're already <laughs> I like, know, I know, you know, I have one more thing to say, case. but I'm going to zip my say mouth. Actually, are you sure? I, yeah. Cause I actually, okay. I think I debunked it already in my head. So, well, okay. So let's go in a little bit more and I, I am going to get into some of the additional details I was able to dig up. Um, that I think might color this a little bit more about like who the suspects might've been, who those men in the pictures are that I sent you. And again, for anybody who wants to see these photos, I'm going to have everything up. Stu and I will make a joint Reddit post so you can follow along and see the pictures as well. 
So our theories. Michael may have left the dorm room and, of course, was abducted by a man who was stalking him, either premeditated or opportunistic. We kind of just ran through what that scenario looks like. I think the most logical, if we are to believe that Michael did not take his shoes, is that he probably did not anticipate leaving the building, which would suggest he was abducted from inside the building. And it wasn't like he's running out to go grab food and like there's a guy waiting outside. I really, really feel like something went down in like the dorm floor bathroom and he was like knocked out. Mm. Something about it. I mean, I'm going with your gut on this because I think also having lived, you know, as like a 18 year old guy in a dorm, that mm-hmm. you know that if some guy had walked in and you were, you know, saw him in the hallway, you'd be like, who the hell is that? Yeah. 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 It's got, it's somebody who's hiding, lurking around a corner or lurking in a stall. And it's when your guard is down because he's been drinking. It's 4.30 in the morning. Like he's tired and like, he's not expecting anybody to be up and in the bathroom. So of course it makes total sense that like, kid is at the urinal gets chloroformed by somebody who like jumps out from from a stall i can totally see it but i think what throws a wrench in this theory maybe was like what people were saying you know the bloodhounds the leading to like the bus stop and we don't know if that's to be believed and that's it around you know like what 4 34 35 we're backing it up with this like witness statement of when the mystery man was seen what throws another wrench in that is that we have this other person who was out and about on the street who claimed they may have seen Michael and that he was alone at around 4.35. It depends like which way, we, which version of the story we want to put weight into. I'm willing to lean on the side of the mystery man being more integral to the story than this random UCLA bystander witness who was like, yeah, I might have seen a guy. I might have not. The only thing that I'm wondering is, wouldn't the bloodhounds have picked up on someone else's scent with his? Not if they don't have a reference. Oh, that's right. Because okay. that, I, yeah, I think that's what they give them. They give them like a piece of clothing or something. So yeah. that Because yeah. I mean, in theory, they could like pick up every scent. But yeah, they were following Michael and Michael only. And it was like super zigzaggy. So they thought the dogs were getting confused. They're like. The dogs don't seem to be following like a logical foot pattern. So we have to assume that the dogs are at fault. The dogs are never at fault. Mm-mm. The dogs know. They know. Not a, I have not a bloodhound, baby. Not a bloodhound, baby. I do have some additional information about the potential connections to this abduction that I wrote in my phone because <laughs> I was doing more research on this today. So. One other thing I was able to dig up, which I did not see in the initial police reports, but the witnesses who did see this mystery man on the floor, they said he was wearing a shiny gray jacket with a turquoise emblem. Does that read? Okay, so that kind of read as like, maybe like a little like flamboyant to me, but maybe not. I'm thinking like an 80s windbreaker or like a 90s windbreaker. You know how they were made out of like, those are very in trend. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what is yeah, the, so I mean, what pretty, is the blue emblem? Is that like a common, let me look this up and just see if I can Google something. Hold on. 1999 gray. Also a shiny jacket, like silver. But you, but you know what I'm talking like that kind of like reflective material of like windbreakers that were really popular in like 
the eighties. I and think 90s. I have a visual. I think I've got a visual. I'm just. It just seemed. It's something about it. Red is like very. I in my mind, I'm seeing it as like a very clear silver, which to me, red mm. is like somebody who wants. Like that's not somebody who's about to abduct somebody necessarily, right? Because they're like it's a, an outfit that <laughs> evokes attention, maybe, or just like catches the eyes. So I'm thinking, I'm like, so this is either somebody who was not involved, maybe, or it's somebody who doesn't care if they have attention, kind of like a Lucas Magnata type who wants people to know what they're about to do in a way, or like wants to leave a visual impression on the witnesses. Mm. maybe it was intentional maybe it wasn't and i'm just looking too far into it but i just thought that that detail about the silver jacket with the turquoise emblem was interesting yeah there is um let me see so there's a couple of connections here which if you go back to the google doc that i sent you i'm going to talk you through the two pictures that you're going to see so if you're looking at it under the picture of michael you see the picture of the first man on the left right Mm mm-hmm So this man is Damon Van Dam, who was actually a close family friend of the Negrete family. Now, the existing information on Damon Van Dam's relationship to the family, it's a little muddy. But from what I could piece together, this man was allegedly a family friend who was close with Michael's father. And there are further reports online, although unconfirmed, I will say this, that Michael and Damon played online video games together. And they may have been communicating through a system like that where you could send a message back to somebody, even if it was like a small message symbol. Mm-hmm. But that may have been a way that they were communicating without technically leaving like a digital trail, like a paper trail, right? Mm-hmm. So Damon has never been officially charged with anything in connection to this. The only thing is that, of course, he had a connection to Michael. Michael is a gamer. He was gaming that night. It could have given him confirmation from the outside. Oh, I know he's in his dorm because he's online. He's playing this game. So I know exactly where to find him. It's just unclear as to like what the motive would be there to capture Michael. I'm sure like you could, you could extrapolate like tons of things from that and say like, maybe it's to get back at the father. Maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe him and Michael had like a secret relationship. There's lots of stories you can spin that into, but I think it's a little unlikely because if this was someone that Michael knew and this was also a man who was lurking through the halls that night and witnesses saw him, wouldn't he run the risk of Michael seeing him and then lose the element of surprise if he was going to abduct him? Right, right. That's what I was thinking. I think I would think the same thing. It's, It's a little bit of, I can see why people are making the connection and I can even concede that like he looks a little bit like the sketch to be honest, but I think the through line might be a little weak on this one. I was much more compelled by the second picture that I sent you. I if mean, you scroll down to the last. When I scrolled down beforehand, I know. my stomach turned. That guy's a bad guy. Let me just yeah. preface with that. He's a yeah. no, he's a bad dude. So this second person, I actually don't think this information came out about him until the 2010s. He is a potential suspect in this. Um, And I think this reporting actually came from BuzzFeed Investigates. Like, I think BuzzFeed did the investigative journalism on this, allegedly. Um, It is sourced back to this man named Mark Collins Rector. He is not explicitly connected to Michael or Michael's disappearance. And I believe 
I think he's 54 years old, or he was 54 at the time that, like, all of this information came out, but he is a registered sex offender, as far as I know. And he was living in the Los Angeles area, and I believe the allegations connect him to a larger sex trafficking ring for the Hollywood elite that specifically, get this, specifically seeks out very young men and boys. So he, the way he's described in these allegations, oh my, are you okay? Yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was like, that makes me want to vomit. And then I was like, I felt myself. I didn't have you up on the screen and I I was like, (laughs) she was choking to death. She's choking. So this guy, he, the way he's described in these allegations is that he is basically like the muscle or like a liaison to like the Hollywood elite. Although he allegedly had like sex trafficking parties as well, where like a lot of the men in this ring would like come to his home, which I think is in Hollywood. And the victims of the trafficking were there, but it's all young men and boys. So a lot of people are suggesting he very well could have been like, it could have been that exact scenario where like he's coming to a freshman dorm prepared, possibly with chloroform that night because he is running an operation where he's going to abduct one of the 18-year-old guys and take him and capture him to the ring. That is absolutely foul. I, I, oh, the, the sheer balls he had to have to go in like multiple times on that floor and yes, run that risk and just like to have the, I guess he already, I'm sure it was, you know, arrogant enough to think, oh, I can get myself out of this. Like if somebody sees mm-hmm. me or whatever, I'll pretend I'm a professor. I'm, you know. I mean, he probably would have been young enough at 1999. Let me think. So if he was 54 at the time when this story broke, and again, I have to, I have to say this because I believe the case was eventually, one of the cases against him was eventually dismissed for lack of evidence. So this has to be, we have to say this is an allegation. Allegedly, this is Uh all true. But he was 54 at around the time when the story broke, which might've been around 2017, which would have made him pretty young right in 1999 like he would have been i guess he would have been like right around this age like 30s Mm -hmm. so he feasibly could have easily said to anybody i'm an ra i'm a grad student this kid's knocked out he's drunk i gotta take him to like the infirmary the hospital or like i gotta take him to x location and i gotta i hate to say it but like the time period is on his side in terms of getting away with it no cell phones no immediate communication no cameras. That's what I kept thinking. I was like, no where were cameras. the damn cameras? And, that? and then that's Baby. why that's when I said I debunked my own mm-hmm. thing because I was like, it was the 80s, 90s. I'm sure they barely had cameras set up on campus. So this was another thing because apparently when p- police initially did their investigation, they saw some cameras outside of the dorm and they were like, boom, we got it. We've got cameras. We've got, we've got the story. They were dummy cameras. <sighs> cameras that were put up for like faux security purposes to like deter people from trying to like cause a ruckus or break in like you're on camera but they're not recorded they're not even hooked up to anything they're not recording anything they were for nothing (sighs) so what's crazy is like this guy either ran that risk and did not realize there were cameras there and just like ran the risk and was like i mean what happens happens or he knew that he had the inside information that those cameras are bull those cameras don't record anything. I don't, I really think this sketch and this picture of this man 
something aligns there for me. And I will circle back to what I said before. The way he runs his hair Mm. to the opposite side. Look at the picture. It is the same thing as the sketch. Yeah. Also, also something about the lips. The lips. Yes. Because like they're technically thin, but like. But they're big. Full in like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah. Full and like like a big mouth. I just kept trying to think, I'm like, okay, if I saw that man, and again, like this picture of him, this is him in like 2017. So it looks like he might have had some work done on his nose too. Like I really can't tell if he may have had some work done. So maybe his face looked a little bit different, but try to imagine him like 20 years prior, 1999, basically. He may have looked much closer to this picture. Okay. Also the ears. And, the, it, and yeah. the wider neck. Like, I mean, this definitely is one of the closer sketches for me, even though when I first looked at it, I was like, okay, the guy in the first picture, like, sort of, like, I think maybe also is because he was the first one I saw. I was like, okay, that mm-hmm. I can see how that would look kind of I think similar. it's the nose, too. It's the nose it, looks really similar. Right. But this, if I'm thinking about that guy back in that time period, and mm-hmm. someone trying to describe him, he's got some pretty predominant features that I think like pretty much align with that sketch. What I'm also noticing about it now, looking at it, is they intentionally, I know it's a black and white sketch, but they very clearly intentionally drew this sketch to be of a blondish man mm-hmm. because the hair on top, it's not balding, it's light. They're drawing light hair or trying to depict light hair. This picture of him, although his hair is a little bit darker in his mugshot, he has basically like like fully blonde eyebrows, which tells me that when he was younger, he probably was naturally blonde. Yeah. Are you Don? What's going on? No, Are you no, okay? baby, I'm good. Yeah. It's I'm I got your cough. Attack. I got your cough. We transferred it. Oh no. It's That's just what happens with end of the year, baby. I know. I know. <laughs> Poor thing. I'm sorry. Well, I am doing worse now that i've seen it space no i'm just kidding <laughs> this is Nine distracting more. me Nine. now i can do the to her voice Nine. You can, maybe i should let's see if i have another theory here because to me this is the most compelling obviously but there are some other people here who want to lean into that witness statement that say mm, somebody says they saw michael alone so is there an avenue here where michael left on his own now we can preface this theory by saying We don't know for sure that Michael left without shoes. Of course, it's very odd that he left without his keys to get back in. Could have been an oversight. Definitely left without his credit card, like no money. His bank wasn't used at all. So that tells me he either completely forgot about it or he had the intentions to go meet up with somebody under the pretense that they'll pay for me. They got it. So this gave way to a new theory because we've already talked through the scenario of Michael was hungry. He was trying to go out to like a 24-7 place or something. There is a pretty well-discussed theory that Michael may have been experimenting and he may have had a secret lover and things turned south. Some have suggested that the mysterious older man who might have been hanging around the college dorms may not have been this initial suspect who was involved in the trafficking ring or could have been but might have been somebody who Michael had met online and they were planning to meet up late that night. It was college. A lot of people explore their sexualities. And of course, this is 
before the age of cell phones. Not everyone even has email. Not everybody even had a personal computer. So it is entirely possible that it could have been an LA local that he met. It could have been another, a grad student. Maybe it was actually an older student. It could, I keep feeling, okay, I just have to pause for a second because you've got me messed up because you told me you keep seeing <laughs> scary things behind me. Like this place is haunted or something. I swear to God, for the you last- just felt something weird. It's been happening. I've been ignoring it for the last 20 minutes. I keep feeling an intense draft of wind on my face, Stu. I have no Stop. windows open. I have no fans on. What? I don't know what is happening, but like- how it's close like someone... do you live to the UCLA campus? Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> stop. I'm like, is that a it's damn like, ghost? This will sound insane, but it feels like somebody is like blowing on me. <laughs> I know I sound insane right now, but no, you don't. I'm really ex- I'm Do you really know what's weird? I, can, I feel like normally you are very like, I mean, listen, you weren't banging through this research, but when you said your gut felt something like really deep, I just know how your gut operates and I'm like, I'm there. I'm like, I'm not shocked that you are feeling that because this case is the, hitting different. It's weird. It's weird. There's something, I don't know if it's because I live in LA that like something about it feels yeah. a little too close and weird, but yeah, I just like couldn't ignore it because the sensation has been very strange for the last 20 minutes. It's, it's like someone, I swear to God, like an invisible person is next to me going, that's what it feels like. I promise you, it's got, you know what, there's a logical explanation. It's got to be a draft or something that's traveling, but it's very consistently hitting me, but I'll keep going. I should have never planted this seed. Maybe, I wonder, maybe I do pay attention. I know you should not have planted that because I'm going to be thinking about it all night, but (laughs) maybe I need to listen to the signs. Maybe something is trying to tell me something. So I'll keep going on the secret, the secret lover scenario here. So like I said... College, freshman, 18 years old, could have been experimenting with his sexuality. This would make maybe a lot of sense as to why Michael maybe snuck out at 4.30 in the morning. It's time when he knows everybody's going to be asleep. His roommate is certainly asleep and he can't do anything back in his dorm room if he wants to keep this kind of discreet. So is there a scenario where Michael is going on a secret hookup and then he is the victim of something that turned lethal or maybe even it's it's more like um our theories around oh god the joshua maddox case where like that was like a secret like you know love affair and Mm -hmm. they were doing drugs together accidental od maybe and then this guy maybe he's an older man maybe he's a family he lives in los angeles he's got money or something and he's terrified because it's gonna out him publicly how do i explain this to the police how do i explain it to my wife and he does the unthinkable and he makes michael disappear gets rid of the body it's just a theory and like i said i will say again there is no public facing evidence of any pursuits of an affair like this that were found on his computer nothing that could link him necessarily to being curious about his sexuality but he was 18 it seemed like he knew his way around a computer especially if it was a computer without a password maybe he was clearing his browser history Maybe they were meeting or chatting through AOL and the messages were pretty much lost. I, I couldn't really figure out, like like I said before, like how much of that data back in 1999 could be preserved and like basically like extrapolated from a computer once it goes mm-hmm. 
to evidence. That's that's what's really chilling me right now about this case is that I know we've said on other cases, you know, the person sort of vanishes out of thin air. But I mm-hmm. mean, there's like no signs here of something Nothing. being wrong leading up to it, except for him being, you know, like prop- quite possibly heavily intoxicated, wrong place, wrong time, like those kind mm-hmm. of scenarios. But typically with a predator or like a random stranger, you kind of have to put yourself in the line of fire. Like, but there's a buildup to it mm-hmm. normally. And this feels like it would have been like, we would have had some little crumb of there being like a conversation previously. S- something left behind. Yeah. Like, unless he was just really good at covering his tracks or unless we're totally off the mark. And yeah. yeah. It really was that he was sought out by somebody who was looking to traffic him, which is not off the table. At a 1999 in Hollywood, it, it that, very that's risky. That's where scene. I'm sort of leaning at the moment. I will also say because I did have this other piece. Let me pull this up on my phone. This other piece of evidence. He again the information on this because this case is so insanely underreported like the lack of information about this story like i i will be shocked if there are any creepers who listen to this who are like i knew that case because there's barely any youtube videos on it like nobody covers it or talks about it but apparently there was a tumblr because of course once he went missing i think his band they started like making you know they were doing fundraisers to try to raise money like help us find michael his parents were doing everything they could one of his brothers i think it was steve ended up making a blog, but it was a Tumblr, um, where he would talk about the case. And basically, he used it as kind of a blog to like vent about his personal um, grievances with some of the contributing factors that he think went into Michael's disappearance. He says that what is allegedly what has been underreported is that at the time, Michael was a freshman and he was really starting to experiment with harder drugs mm. and he was going to raves. His brother thinks that at the time, Michael was experimenting with ecstasy, and it could have been a scenario, so says his brother, where Michael planned to, like, meet his dealer outside the dorm at, like, 4.30 a.m. when, like, I don't know, police wouldn't be around, like, LAPD wouldn't be, like, scoping the streets. Met the dealer. Something went wrong with the drug dealer. Drug dealer made him disappear. Mm. Which feels like a scenario that could have some weight. But again, it's, I think we also overestimate the capacity of like college level drug dealers. Like they don't necessarily want to deal with a body, you know, like not all of them are looking to kill people, especially over some, some pills of E. It's not that serious. We're not talking about moving, moving Coke. Like it's ecstasy. (laughs) Totally. And the other thing I keep thinking is that if, Michael's past sort of indicated that he was, uh, if we kind of table this idea that his brother is saying he was starting with harder drugs just for a second, Mm -hmm. that he was sort of like a happy-go-lucky person and nothing was seemingly wrong. That would strike me as a type of person that like once the party is over, they're like, okay, I'm done. It's four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to sleep. They're not like staying up to like keep the party going alone which like there are Mm -hmm. definitely college kids like that but they normally their friends and family are going to be like they had an inkling like they had a desire to party a lot 
they got into trouble. Like it just, I feel like that would also be a pretty rare instance here that he mm-hmm. wanted to like, but maybe I'm wrong. According to the brother, there could have been something else, but. I, no, I, something about it doesn't like hit me in the same way as the trafficking thing. And I don't mm-hmm. know why. I don't know what that is. It has to be like, to me, it's, I guess it's the mystery man and that connection to, what is his name again? I already forgot his name. The the sex trafficking guy. Why did I forget his name? Mark, I think. I think it's Mark. I kept thinking Michael Shannon. I don't know why. It's not Michael Shannon. I know. I'm like, his picture (laughs) sort of, which I love Michael Shannon, so I shouldn't say that the actor, but Mm -hmm. looks a little Michael. He could be cast in the movie version. Absolutely. Or played by Molly Shannon, even. Right. She's versatile. Is <laughs> she? If she I did see her once in person. Did I tell you that? Remember? Wait. Uh, maybe you did. Maybe you did. Where did you see her? It was in... Um, I'll blow it up because it's my favorite vintage shop. I go to a vintage shop called The Bearded Beagle. Oh. Um, it's my favorite vintage shop. It's in Silver Lake. And I, I've been there a million times. This one time I went there, Molly Shannon walked in and the whole... I swear to God, the whole room stopped stop i'd never felt like energy like that where the entire room knew who she was and like it's all like silver lake like hipster types like it's everybody was dying dying and then i hid behind a rack of clothes because i was so scared i was shaking (laughs) i was shaking i'm not kidding and she like picked up on it and realized because she was buying so much stuff just like picking stuff off the walls and she turned around to like look at everybody because obviously the room was like silent and heavy as hell watching her. And she looked at me. And my face was. <laughs> I looked psychotic. I looked like I could have killed somebody. How many years ago is this? Maybe like two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know what? I don't care about getting starstruck. I think it's what makes life fun. I think to be, I, yeah. you know, like. To, to it's the nonchalant. magic. It's I the know. magic. It's like holy crap! Like I, in all my years in New York, every time I saw somebody famous, even like I remember Joy Behar walking past me, the host of The View. I almost Which you've fell told to the me. damn ground. Baby, like, when I was waiting tables, and I thought she was in our <laughs> restaurant, I went to the back. I hid in the freezer because I was having a panic attack. Because <laughs> I'm that big of a fan of The View. <laughs> And that's our toxic um, trait that we share. <laughs> that our deeply toxic trait. So to pivot back away from Joy Behar, I don't know how only us, only us could go from only us. a disappearance, potential sex trafficking to Joy Behar. So that's really where we're left. I suppose like there's only the scenario of the sex trafficking abduction. I definitely see a scenario of like a struggle. If I do believe he was abducted or, you know, his body was taken either by a drug dealer where things went wrong or a sex trafficker where things went wrong, the zigzag pattern outside to me, although there's no evidence of blood or like ripped up grass or anything from what I saw, zigzag reads as like a little bit of a struggle or difficulty moving a body late at night Mm -hmm. to get it from point A to point B. Some people have said secret lover, maybe OD'd, maybe like he was going to out him or something went wrong in that way. Possible. I just wish I had more evidence to go off of that. And then there are some people who say, what if Michael was pulling like a full Mara Murray and was just trying to like head out in the middle of the night, just run out of town? That, see, that that one for me still doesn't, it just doesn't 
fit because he had just had such a great night. Uh, well, I get. I mean, we weren't there, shockingly, but yeah. <laughs> side on scene. But a lot of people have said, well, you have to think, put it in the context of the timing of the school year because this is December. So, like we said, finals are coming up. Mm-hmm. Stressful period. It's his mm-hmm. first semester in college, which we have seen so many times with like Bryceless Pizza or um, people who like start to slip a little bit, maybe, or yeah. like they might be having some mental health issues, especially if they start playing around with some harder drugs. Totally possible. He could have been having like a little silent battle that people didn't know about. And maybe he really was trying to get out of town. He left behind everything because he knew. He said, you know, I'm smart and people will follow me if I take my cards, if I take my keys, if I take all this stuff. But he left everything, like personal stuff, like, I don't know, family, like emblems, like stuff in that room that you would be like, if you're running away, you're going to want to take this, mm-hmm. you know? He left it all. And yet we have his last known whereabouts being at a bus stop at the corner. And which it, would, it was never clear yeah. to me if that was a campus bus or a public bus. Not clear in the reporting. I would be really interested to see, like, if they ever did have it. Um, I'm sure they do, like, what the transit system looked like on campus versus, like, mm-hmm. the actual transit system like of LA and like if things connect certain places like I would just be because my gut is still that there's that man and he somehow showed up on campus and totally and I I would say like him going missing on the UCLA campus and to um or just in Los Angeles was it's so sad but it was to his detriment because he it's such a small drop of water in the ocean of disappearances and crimes that are taking place in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. at all times that I'm sure in the beginning, maybe they did do their due diligence, but there's a clear reason that his parents hired not one, but two private detectives because keeping the LAPD or even campus police, I guess, on your case long-term, it's usually not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen, which is devastating because I'm sure they could have looked even further into this and they could have looked at more people, more suspects and, it certainly doesn't help that the witness statement of this mystery man came seven months after the fact. Whoever reported that, happy you did. A little too late. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe if you saw that and you knew this kid went missing, maybe come forward, I don't know, six months prior. But anyway, Stu, that is all I have got on the mysterious and very eerie disappearance of Michael Negrete. Baby, I hope you sleep tonight. <laughs> I gotta I say, since I weird. brought it up, I've... brought up that wind thing, it stopped. Yeah. Since I brought it up, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. That was so damn weird. I swear to God, like I, I wasn't making that up. Like I, and I kept thinking, I was like, did I leave the door open or something? But like a very deliberate, like rush of wind over and over again. And you know what? Oh my God, it was happening right when I w- we were talking about the theory of yes, the sex you would just switch to it. You would just switch <gasps> to it. I don't like that. <laughs> That's our next oh. intro song. Ooh, ooh, I like that. <laughs> what is um? What's Candy Burris's uh, Housewives intro oh, again? Oh, baby, I, I keep singing it. <laughs> I may be small, oh, but my I may be small. Oh. growing. <laughs> I looked it up. I listened to it, and <laughs> I gotta say, you did so it good. perfect justice. Perfect That's actually justice. also my tagline because I'm five two. I may be small, oh. 
Oh, you know what sucks? I got, since I'm watching Housewives and I got Peacock without ads, I don't see the intro. I don't watch the intro anymore to the new thing of Beverly Hills. So I don't know what their new taglines are. Do you? I'm trying to think. Um, Sutton's next season is going to be name them. It's got to be like, if you got a problem, <laughs> I'll name it or something like I'm sure it's, it's got to be. It's it. got to be like people say that I get in with the wrong crowds. I say name them. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good <laughs> i'm a writer on bravo it's okay <laughs> oh my god it's, that's honestly that was like one of my dreams when i was trying to decide like if i was going to become a corporate hack which avenue i was going to go down <laughs> i was like i'll just be a producer on bravo done <laughs> and you know if they slipped you a contract any day now you would drop everything <laughs> You would say, you would say, creep time, the podcast, kiss my ass. I am so out. I am flying straight to Kyle Richards' home. You would be that you'd be, you'd be sleeping in a van outside of Kyle Richards' house with the city cam. I cannot. If you do that one more time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm going to have to wrap it. Thank you so, so much for listening to this case. Thank you, everybody, to the Creepers, for listening to this, following another unsolved disappearance. I know we cover a lot of them, but something about this one felt a little different, which is strange because we don't have a lot of information to go off of. That's what felt weird about it, but it feels like there's something juicy there. Yeah, there really does. Um, You know, the magic juju thing. I... (laughs) I'm like, damn, I feel like it's coming. I don't know when, but. Um, I was going to text you because I think I saw something about a case we recently covered. I, oh, shoot. I don't know which one it was, but there's like new information that came out about a case we just covered. Oh, oh damn. It might have been Joshua Maddox. Like since like right after we covered that case, I didn't want to oh like, God. I didn't want to jinx it. So I didn't say anything about it or yeah. like, write anything online. But I was, I was like, uh, uh, uh. Is that creep time magic? Mm-hmm. Oh, and with that, that maybe small <laughs> <laughs> creepers. We're going to catch you on the next one. Thank you so much for sticking around. For now, we will say goodbye and good luck, creepers. Bye, guys.